When I was a kid, my mother was in the hospital a number of times for various surgeries. They removed her gallbladder, dealt with her varicose veins, and a few other things. I remember our family praying the rosary together around her hospital bed many times during various recoveries. On one of those evenings, my mother told us that she had a vision that morning when she was waking up from a particularly difficult surgery. She said, I saw Jesus Christ at the foot of my bed, and around him on either side stood the twelve apostles. Everyone looked at me solemnly without smiling, she said. Somehow, their presence let me know that I would be just fine. Of course, my mother can't just have one saint when she's sick. Right? She needs all 12 apostles. You <laughs> should be my mother. Um, well, I was 10 or 11 years old at the time, and her story really made an impression. Mom, did you ask them anything I wanted to know? No, I just felt comforted and went back to sleep, she said. I remember thinking, what a lost opportunity. I, of course, would have had a ton of questions. What's going on in eternal life? How can we avoid hell? Why is there so much suffering in the world? When will Jesus return to us? And can we eat cake in heaven without getting fat? <laughs> Maybe that's why they never appeared to me. Too many questions. With the exception of Jesus, those men around my mother's bed were all saints. Thomas, Peter, Bartholomew, and the rest. They are joined in the communion of saints by many others. Mary, the mother of God. Claire. Teresa of Avila, my great-great-great-great-great-auntie. <laughs> and scores of others. Today we celebrate All Saints Day, traditionally November 1st. And I often think of my mother's vision at this time of year, of that great cloud of witnesses around us. And on this day, we give thanks for the men and women who lived exemplary lives and who have preceded us to God. Today, we also commit ourselves to strive to live like them. Some of you were raised Roman Catholic, like me, so I imagine you did a bit of praying to saints in your time. You might have prayed to St. Jude, the patron saint of lost causes, while in a desperate situation. Or you might have kept a St. Christopher medal in your car, the patron saint of travelers. In Mexican and other Latin American cultures, some women turn statues of St. Anthony of Padua upside down, keeping it hostage and refusing to write it until it, until it helps them find a husband. Wish I'd heard about that one a little sooner in life. <laughs> the official take on saints in the Episcopal Church differs from these examples of popular piety. We can pray to the saints to intercede on our behalf to God, but we are not supposed to petition them directly for favors. In other words, we pray through them, not to them. The same as when you ask me to pray to God for your pending surgery, for example. For those of you former Presbyterians or other Protestants out there rolling your eyes at all of this, <laughs> do recall that the question of the efficacy of supplication to saints was a very big deal in Reformation times. And to the Puritans, much blood was shed, and many stained glass windows and statuary was busted up. So if the saints can't actually do anything for us directly, why bother with them at all? 
Why not just pray directly to Jesus? Well, yes. And that's what many of us do. But the saints are special as examples of how to live a life dedicated to manifesting the kingdom of God on earth. Almost all of them did a very difficult thing that we are actually called to do as well. They surrendered their lives to Christ. They stopped trying to control their own lives' trajectory and allowed God's voice to guide them. For many, like St. Francis, this meant renouncing their wealth or privilege. For others, like Santa Lucia, it was about rejecting desires of the body, and she remained a virgin for Christ. And while we can't all be Mother Teresa and leave everything to serve the poor, the lives of the saints offer ideals of service to strive for. So according to the letters of St. Paul, we are all saints. The early church used that appellation much as Paul does in his letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, grace and peace to you. He does likewise in Ephesians and Colossians. The word holy in Greek, the language in which the New Testament was written, is hagios, which also means blessed. So a saint in Paul's time was anyone in whom Christ lived. A few centuries later, this changed. The church wanted to especially remember those Christians who suffered extremely for their faith, martyrs who had braved persecution. And so they wrote down their stories, collections of which are called hagiographies, or lives of the saints. Then finally, to set these people apart from ordinary Christians, the word holy was reserved, the word saint was reserved only for those who had been almost superhuman in their faith. So we lost that sense of everyone being a saint. But here's the problem with that. To call someone a saint then separates and specializes them apart from the rest of us, suggesting that their achievements are ones we could never hope to realize. No. Pull their example closer to you. Believe that we are all saints and that each and every one of us has the ability to be so good and loving and fair that others cannot help but be inspired by our example. As it says in today's gospel reading, blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn, the meek and those who hunger for righteousness, the merciful and the pure in heart, peacemakers and those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. They will be loved by God and already are because they live as God desires. You can bet this was a radical speech Jesus gave on that hill near the Sea of Galilee. In times of Roman occupation where might made right and with mankind's history of violence and humiliation up until that time and frankly to this day. The words of Jesus are stunning because they insist that what makes a person precious in the eyes of God has absolutely nothing to do with the world's currency of power. Meekness, purity, sorrow, and peacemaking are what power the kingdom of God. Humility, compassion, and mercy are what make you Christian, are what make you saintly. These days, apologizing is seen as weakness. Compassion and reconciliation make you a chump and leave you open to ridicule or danger. 
resist the siren songs of this world and their promise of a hard-hearted, armored protection against everything. Become vulnerable, as Jesus was, and as he describes in his Beatitudes. Set aside your fear and simply love. If our world could only learn to value the words in this scripture passage, the kingdom of God would already be here. But these traits are ideals to which we can aspire and promises of how things will be in heaven where those who have suffered will be comforted. As it's said in today's reading from Revelation, God will dry every tear from their eyes. I want to give a little side note here. Um, Don't know if you know this, but there's sort of a little trilogy of days that passed us by last week. Halloween, All Saints Day and All Souls Day. Um, Halloween was traditionally called All Hallows' Eve. I don't know if you guys are so smart you already know this, but here we go. We'll do this for John's sake. So, (laughs) Hallows, the word hallowed, like hallowed be thy name, blessed be thy name, holy be thy name, saintly be thy name. So hallowed came to mean kind of saintly. So All Hallows' Eve was like All Saints' Eve the eve before All Saints Day. And in some ways, it's kind of like Mardi Gras. It became the day to kind of party and thumb your nose at death. You know, trick-or-treat and all of that came later because it was the eve of then venerating and giving thanks for all the saints who have died and gone before us. So it's a trilogy in the sense that, you know, the fun Mardi Gras, kind of All Hallows Halloween thing happens. And then it's a day of kind of, not fasting, but kind of, serious kind of uh, seriousness. And then All Souls was the next day. And that came about... So All All Saints Day started, I think, in the 400s. And All Souls Day came about in the 10th century, around 998, as a way to kind of add not just saints, but thinking about those that we have lost and see no more, and the saintliness that they have because they reside with God in heaven. So it's this kind of trilogy, and of course our culture only really thinks about Halloween. But um, it's, it's a little bit about embracing life and death all at the same time in those three days. And I would say that um, All Souls Day, for a while there, for a long while there, the Anglican Church and the Episcopal Church said, you can't do All Souls Day because that's like praying to the dead. And then there were indulgences that were giving to, given in you know, prior pre-Reformation days money given to pray for the dead and on behalf of the dead, or pray for me, my dead relatives. So that was kind of anathema. But after World War I, when there was so much sorrow and grief at all the death and devastation, all souls made a comeback. And so now it is commemorated as, you know, optional, I guess, in the Episcopal Church. So that's just a sort of historical side note about those three days and how they really mean something. When you have lost a loved one, Remember that they were saints and continue to be saints uh, in your heart and also in a more eternal way in that cloud of witnesses that surround us in the breeze that touches your face in the sun that warms you in the cold that makes you shiver. Those people that you love and see no more are with you. Um, and that's something maybe to mourn, but blessed are those who mourn and maybe to celebrate because you got to have that love and experience those relationships in your life. 
in New Seeds of Contemplation, Thomas Merton writes, For me to be a saint means to be myself. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation is in fact the problem of finding out who I am and of discovering my true self. But our vocation is not simply to be, but to work together with God in the creation of our own life, our own identity, our own destiny. We should not passively exist, but actively participate in his creative freedom in our own lives and in the lives of others. In other words, become the saint you already are. You have the blueprint for this transformation in the life of Christ. And examples abound all around you. You will receive a few more guidelines in a few moments when we renew our baptismal vows. You already know what to do. Be the saint you already are. My favorite definition of a saint is one my spiritual director gave me. A saint is a person, the quality of whose life gives other people hope. A saint is a person, the quality of whose life gives other people hope. In that sense, Jesus challenges us to be a saint to those around us, giving them hope for the future of the world and letting them know that they are already blessed for the love we show them. And Christ encourages us to find hope for ourselves and the saints we meet every day wherever we go. As the hymn, I Sing a Song of the Saints of God says, you can meet them in school or in lanes or at sea, in church or in trains or in shops or at tea. For the saints of God are just folk like me, and I mean to be one too. We are all saints, and we are all precious in the eyes of God. Amen.